Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, has pulled us together from across the world. Now, what in the world am I talking about? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembert. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We are studying the Bible 31 times. Next year, it'll be 32 times. And let me tell you something. Ephesians chapter 2 is a book in the Bible Chapter two is interesting. We're going to talk about it. Corey, what's going on? Well, I'm going to be taking a look into the book of Ephesians itself. So it's authorship, it's structure, all of those good things. Ryan? Well, as Corey said, as we begin the book of Ephesians today, I'm going to be exploring some of the metaphors that Paul uses to describe the church. All right. Very good. Look forward to that, Janice. It's Friday again. That means it's our fun Friday wrap up with my segment today. I'm going to be asking a question based anywhere from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 through to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, that's our reading today as we focus on this particular passage of Scripture. Let me tell you that I think this is fascinating. We're looking at these passages over the last three years, and we're reading the sections that we have not read on those past three years. These are new sections, and I'm very excited about this. Now, the letter to the Ephesians was written to the faithful believers living in Ephesus. 
Now, it's not the longest of Paul's letters, but it does set out the perfect display of Christian faith. Now, Christianity was introduced to Asia during Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas. That was around 45 to 48 AD. And the details can be seen written in Acts 13 to 1428. Now, there was no city in Asia that was more famous, more populated than Ephesus. It was the largest trading center in Western Asia Minor. The city was dedicated to many gods and goddesses, and its housed world-famous library that was dedicated to books about their gods and the writings of their philosophers. Paul visited Ephesus two more times and spent about three years there. That according to Acts chapter 20, verse 31. He was involved in building the church there because the city was an important spiritual stronghold and the people needed to be well-grounded in faith, the faith of Jesus Christ, the person. And the letter was to the Ephesians, possibly written from two places, possibly written from Caesarea or written from Rome. Most scholars believe it was really from Rome that Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians. This is absolutely fascinating. Take your Bible and turn with me, if you would be kind enough, to Ephesians chapter 2. As we focus on this, get your Bible guide. And uh, as you get it, let me say that you can get a hold of it if you don't have one. And I would simply ask, why not write to us or call us or go to Bible Discovery TV because you're seconds away from joining us as we carry on this study in the book of Ephesians. And mm -hmm. let me also say that uh, I, I really want to appreciate the people who have given donations. Thank you so much. Uh, the, the family here and everybody here really believes that the word of God is true and we need to present that to the world today. So that becomes very important. So Father, we pray today as we study the Christian faith from Ephesians chapter 2, that you would help us, guide us, and give us your grace and your ability as we focus on this and look at what Paul said to the church. In Jesus' wonderful name, help us to read from the scripture, not to read into the scripture what we want, but take from the scripture what you've told us in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. Now let's look at the first passage here because this is really good. As Paul continues talking, he says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh are who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ and again, Paul makes this point. He did it to the Philippians. He did it, of course, to the Corinthians, and he makes it to the Ephesians. Jesus Christ has pulled us together, beloved, across the world. Christians are united. 
as the body of Christ around the world as we worship God. We are united. We are one. Let me tell you something. I pray for the persecuted church frequently on daily basis. And we need to pray for each other around the world. Yes, we pray for our own needs. Yes, we pray for us, us, us. But we need to begin by praying for everyone else first. Put others first and then yourself. That's what you do. When you do that, you begin to realize the power of Jesus Christ is stunning. And it's amazing. Let me tell you, it, you know, when we begin to think about that, it gets very interesting. Let's pray for others as well. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14 says, For he himself is our peace, that's God, who has made both one, made, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Okay, there's no separation. Having abolished in his flesh the enemy or the enmity, that is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one spirit, by one spirit to the Father. Now this is important because Jesus Christ made final peace between the law of God and man. By God's grace, we are saved through faith. God's grace saved us through faith. Can you believe that? It's true. It happened. I'm excited about it. Can you tell? Very, very important. And as we focus on this, we need to consider the last part. Now listen carefully because I want to make this. This is a really good one. Now, Paul says, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Okay, I got to read that again. Verse 19. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the house of God. Did you get that? Verse 20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows in a holy temple in the Lord or grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You've got to be kidding me. Paul tells us together we are God's temple. Can you believe that? God has changed our situation. We are the earthly body of Christ, united by his spirit. We must never fight, but work together for Christ. Beloved, there's nothing to fight about. Why are we fighting? There's nothing to argue about. God has made us one. As we believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord will take us together 
Help us to believe, Lord, together in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin to study through the New Testament book of Ephesians, I want to take this opportunity to look at the book as a whole before we get into a lot of the nitty gritty details of it. So we're going to be taking a look at its authorship, the audience that it was written to. We're going to be taking a look at its structure and some of the line of reasoning that really unites the entire book together. Hopefully what this is going to do is really give you some establishing context that will set you up to win. It will set you up to understand the theology that's in the book of Ephesians. It'll help you understand the overall argument. Take a look. The name of Paul the Apostle is mentioned as author twice in the book of Ephesians. Upon close inspection, however, the book of Ephesians does contain some puzzling features. First, involves the very opening sentence of the book. Our modern translations read, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Scholars have noted, however, that in the three earliest manuscript copies found, the word Ephesus is not there. The sentence reads as if a hole has been left in the text. Of course, this could just represent a scribal error in those manuscript copies, or perhaps it indicates that Paul wrote this letter to be passed on to the surrounding churches in other cities, in which case a hole may have been left in the text for the other churches to insert their city name into their copy, thus making the book a general letter to all Christians. This concept may also help explain the second peculiarity in Ephesians. The book of Acts tells us that Paul spent at least three years living and ministering in Ephesus, so he would have known many of the Christians there personally. If Ephesians was a letter addressed to them, then why is it so general in its content? Why does it not deal with specific church issues like most of his letters do? This would, of course, be explained if Paul intended for the letter to be passed around to various cities and churches beyond Ephesus. Another issue with the book of Ephesians being credited to Paul the Apostle is that there is a difference in style and wording from his other letters. For example, there are 84 words used in Ephesians that are not used in Paul's other letters. If Paul truly wrote it, then why does it seem to break his stylistic mold? A satisfying answer lies in how ancient letters were often written, via a scribe. Scribes were sometimes given word-for-word -word dictation, and at other times were given thought-for-thought -thought dictation, and were responsible to write in a fluid style that matched the personality of the author. The author would read it over, editing, and approving. If Paul used this method for Ephesians, it would explain the stylistic difference seen in the vocabulary of Ephesians. 
You know, over the last week or so, you and I have spoken a few times already about context. We know as people that context is a really important thing. You know, if we don't pay attention to everything that someone says, only to the middle or only to the end, we can really misunderstand what it is that they're trying to communicate to us. And the Bible is no different than this. You know, the book of Ephesians was meant to be taken as a whole. We don't always read it in one sitting, but in order to interpret the different arguments that, that, that are written in there, we do have to consider what's written in the entire book of Ephesians. And even beyond that, sometimes we have to look out to other books in the New Testament that are written on the same topic as well. So uh, that's my spiel again about context. It's important. <laughs> it's very interesting because Ephesians was a historical city. I mean, it was a really Ephesus, important city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. or uh, Ephesus, and uh, it had a fascinating library. I've never been there, but I want to go there. I've read all about it, and mm -hmm. it seems to be exciting. It does. Uh, but that's interesting. Anyway, tell us about your weekend roundup. Okay, yep. Every Saturday morning, I post a chapter-by-chapter -chapter recap of our assigned reading for the week. So this is, you know, if you want to give yourself a pop quiz to see if you remember what it is that you've been reading or if you've fallen behind in your reading, I aim to get you caught back up in 30 minutes or less on the weekends. But another thing I want to talk about, if you are watching this Friday, November 26th, before 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is not too late because all four of us will be here in the studio doing a free live event tonight, Friday, November 26th, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time. We are going to be discussing prayer, worship, and warfare. If you join us on our Bible Discovery TV YouTube channel or our Bible Discovery TV Facebook page, you can even jump in on the chat and uh, you can ask questions, give us comments, give us some feedback live on the go, and we'll respond to you. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you if you're watching from California or some of those states. We love them. <laughs> um, we're on many TV stations out there as well. Ryan, what's going on? Yeah, well, as you all know, today we begin the book of Ephesians. And one of the things that Paul does in this letter is describe the church using various metaphors. In fact, he uses five that I can see. And these comparisons are really helpful for his readers to grasp the concept of what it means to be a part of God's church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's study. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul the Apostle describes the church of the Lord Jesus Christ using several metaphors. First of all, he pictures the church politically in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22 as a commonwealth or an independent community that embodies the reconciliation of two former hostile ethnic groups, namely the Jews and the Gentiles, who are now called together to stand up against evil spiritual powers. In former times, the Gentiles were separate from Christ and thus were excluded from citizenship in Israel and were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, says Paul, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. Secondly, Paul pictures the church as a household, a household in which God is the Father and believers are adopted as his children through Jesus Christ. Indeed, Paul declares in Ephesians 1.5 and 2.19 that God predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, and that we are members of God's household. Paul also pictures the church as a temple in Ephesians 2.20-22, a holy temple filled with the presence of God, 
and built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. The church he also refers to as a body in Ephesians 4 and 5, a body whose head is Christ. As a body, the different members of the church are dependent on one another and exemplify the necessity of unity in diversity. As the body of Christ, the church depends on Christ for its growth and submits to his headship. Interestingly, this introduction of Christ as the head of the church is a distinctive contribution of Ephesians and Colossians. Lastly, Paul in Ephesians 5, 23-32 refers to the church as a bride. Drawing on the Old Testament depiction of Israel as the bride of Yahweh, the church is also portrayed as the bride of Christ. He cares, feeds, and sanctifies the church in order that he might present it to himself as radiant, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. As his wife, the church submits to Christ. Hence, Paul metaphorically describes the church as a commonwealth, a household, a temple, a body, and a bride. These images serve as an important reminder to his readers, both past and present, that the church is the family of God and must not be divided, but rather united as one and stand in light and truth and in opposition to the evil one. So Paul metaphorically describes the church in five ways, as a commonwealth, a household, a temple, a body, and of course a bride. You know, I believe one of the main tactics of Satan is to divide and conquer. Satan knows very well how powerful the church is when it's united. Thus, creating division there weakens it. But Paul's teaching on the church in Ephesians should remind us all of who and what we're meant to be. We're not to quibble over the little things. We're a family. Yes, as believers, we're going to have disagreements with each other sometimes. But we shouldn't divide over these things. Rather, we need to stand and unite together as one unit against the evil one in the truth and light of Jesus Christ. And speaking of light, another thing is that too often we let the world invade the church when it should be the church that's invading the world. We need to be the light and not let the world blow out our light. You know, it's like that old song that we used to sing in children's church, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. It's interesting how these children's songs and the older music reflects what we're saying. And I find that fascinating. I mean, I mean, I like the, I like the young music and all that stuff. I love it. The new music. The new music yeah. <laughs> modern the, music. Modern music. But some of the old music uh, is not good theology, and some of the new music is not good theology. But I love the ones like that one, This Little Light of Mine. I'm going to let it shine. Mm -hmm. That's very, very important. And you, you talked about the church, and uh, I've recently seen the church divided. There's over 5,000 denominations now. And I've seen the church divided over and over again. And, you know, I just asked the question, well, what denominations did Peter belong to? What denominations did Jesus Christ belong to? What denominations did Paul belong to? What denominations did Barnabas belong to? You see, we divide, and when we divide, we conquer. And that's exactly what Satan does. However, if we make a commitment to read the Bible, if we make a commitment to know the Word of God, then suddenly we begin to realize it's not about our denominational teachings as much as it's about the biblical teaching, which is the Word of God. Every person should have a Bible, and every person should read their Bible. And if you don't, I know a ministry that helps you read your Bible. 
In fact, you can write to our Bible guy. And uh, it becomes very important to take note of that. Make a commitment this coming year to read your Bible. Many people have, but I really believe if you choose to do so, you will be rewarded. I know for a fact you will. And I'm reading the Bible for the, the 32nd time through. And let me tell you something. I'm, I know that I know nothing now. Because every time I read the Bible, I learn something new. How could you read a book 32 times? Not a book. The Bible is different. It's layered. It's information. The Holy Spirit's words are layered. And we need to read the Word of God. So keep that in your heart and in your mind today. Janice? And it's not only reading it, but we have to apply it and live it out in our, our lives. And not only, you know, hide it under a bushel. No, which all your boys love when Nanny sings that song to them. It's, you know, there was one I was taught, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Mm -hmm. You won't grow in height, but you'll grow in knowledge and love <laughs> with the Lord. Okay, we've stalled long enough. It's Fun Friday wrap up with the question anywhere from 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to Ephesians chapter 4. Here you we guys, go. You, you ready for this? We'll uh, see. I don't know. They're allowed, they're allowed. Because by the time when I they get find it, it, I had to close the Bible. Oh, but okay. my. Oh, dear. As Paul <laughs> talks about his call to apostleship, that's not mm -hmm. an easy word to say sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As Paul talks about his call to apostleship Eagle. by Jesus... He mentions waiting three years before he went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. But then he tells us how many days that he spent there with Peter. So how many days did he spend? 10 days, 15 days, 25 days. What do you think? I think this is an easy one. Go ahead. Wait. <laughs> Can you see it? <laughs> Actually, I can't because I don't have my glasses. But anyway. Okay, I think I know the answer. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, okay, we think 15 days. All right, well, I don't know what you chose at home. Uh, how many days did he spend with Peter in Jerusalem? Was it 10? Was it 15? Was it 25? Well, Galatians 1 verse 18 gives us the answer. Paul says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, remained with him, 15 days. Very good. Yay. So if you answer that uh, with 15 days at home, good for you. You got the answer right. Yeah, and that's important because we learn things about Paul later on when he tells his testimony to the other churches. So very good. to remind you of our prayer meetings uh, three times in the week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. That's the same time as New York. Join us and we'll pray for your needs. Very, very important. Today, we need to pray. Pray with me and say, Lord, 
I identify under your Lordship and I choose to follow you. Help me, Father, to make everything right and to do the right things. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.